Our lesson is simply entitled Love. In fact, we're going to be focusing on 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and we're going to read just a few verses. What I'd like to do is I'd like to break down verses 4 through 8. We often read the chapter of love as it is called. And as we read this and we talk about it, we typically talk about the context. We talk about the end of the chapter by love will never cease. We talk about various things. But what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on how these definitions, the attributes of love, apply to you and me. I think that's really important. How do they act out in our lives today? Not just how it applied to them, but how does it apply to us this moment? And as a way of introduction, I'd like to read from Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses one. The Bible says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go to, on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith towards God. And I hope by the end of this lesson, this verse will make sense to you. What it means is that we're not going to talk about the very basics of Christianity, but we're going to go on to perfection. We're going to go on to completion. And uh, I think love is one of those ways that we do that. If you would, turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and verses 4. I'd like to read these verses as a way of uh, kind of focusing what we're about to do. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love suffers long. And is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself. Uh, does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Think of no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquities, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all these. Endures all things. Love never fails. And so these are the attributes I'd like to break down. To be completely honest with you, I don't think I'm going to get through them all. It's a lot of information here to be talked about. But um, I, I want everyone to know at the end of this, I want to give a little test to us. It's a love test. Now, don't be alarmed. I'm not going to hand out papers. I'm not going to ask you, ask you to give me answers. But I am going to give you a test. And I want you to answer it within yourself. Do you show love as a Christian. And so the first characteristic of love says that love suffers long. Well, that tells us a great wealth of information. First of all, it tells us that love is patient. Now, patience is a very difficult thing to have sometimes, especially when you're going through hard times. But it also has a deeper meaning. It means to be long-tempered. Now, that's a word we don't really use in English, being long-tempered. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of what it means to be short-tempered. We know what it is to have that person in our life that's short-tempered, right? You don't want to go ask him a question. You don't uh, want to go around him because, uh, well, he's short-tempered. He's going to get mad. You know, have you ever seen somebody like that that's really short-tempered? They try to show you something. I, I know a number of people at work like this. They show you something. They just expect you to remember the 30 steps that they just showed you. And when you ask them a question, they get all irritated at you. The first characteristic of love says that it is long-tempered. It's the opposite of this. It is patient with people. You remember that verse in Matthew 18, 22? It says, um, how often shall we forgive our brother? Remember that verse, that little parable Jesus gives? Peter said, why? How often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus said, no. 70 times 7. He goes on and gives a parable. This simply means that we had to forgive people numbers of times. 
Unlimited amount, just like Christ forgives us, or God forgives us, I should say. How hard it is when somebody does something ill against us to forgive them. That's hard, isn't it? I don't know about you, but when somebody does something that I feel that is unjust and and it hurts my feelings, it is hard to be long-tempered. But the Bible says that Christians are long-tempered. We consider, we weigh the facts, we endure. No matter what is going on or surrounding us, we are patient. James says it like this, and I love James. James is such a practical letter. I love how direct and blunt James' writing is. James 1 and 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. See, love is absolute patience. And so with that comes kindness and all the other attributes we're about to talk about. So the very first attribute of love is kind of an encompassing idea of everything else that's about to follow. So the question is, are we patient? When we're in a situation that is beyond our control, you know, I I was trying to think of a real good example of this. Um, Think of the concentration camps during World War II. You You can say, well, those people had long suffering. Well, yes, that's true. That was very difficult for those people to go through that. But what this is talking about is when you're in that situation, you choose to be long-suffering. You choose how you behave. You don't get mad or frustrated no matter what man does to you, no matter how they treat you. This is the characteristic of love. And I think out of all the ones that we're going to speak about, This is probably one of the most difficult ones to achieve because it requires a great deal of self-control. These verses go on and it says that love is kind. Now, I've heard this idea that Christians are to be kind and I have to be honest with you, uh, I started trying to think of examples and I started looking up definitions and I was like, well, what does it really mean to be kind? Does it mean trying to please other people? Is that what kindness is? Well, no. Does it mean that uh, we need to give gifts or to do good things to people expecting something in return? Is that what kindness is? I don't think so. So what does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to have the characteristics of love, of kindness? Well, it means to be mellowed. Hence, love is not sharp-tongued. Love is soft-spoken. And it is considerate of people. Now, I want to define what I mean by this because I I really struggled with this with myself of trying to find what it really means to be kind. And I think a lot of times we mix kindness up with being the nice guy. And let me explain this. Being the nice guy, that's the person that really does nice things for selfish reasons. He's the person that won't tell you when you're doing something wrong because he'd be afraid to hurt your feelings and hurt the relationship. He's the person that maybe will give a gift expecting something in return. He's the person at work that always is uh, buddy buddies with everybody, but you can tell he's insincere. In other words, it comes from a selfish act. That is not what, what Paul is speaking about here. What he is speaking about is the opposite. 
Kindness is something we do because we choose to do it. It is not done because it, 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 it benefits us in some way. We do it because it's the right thing to do. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when we pay somebody a compliment, we mean it. When we go and help somebody move or help somebody do this or that, whatever it may be, we don't do it expecting something in return. That's kindness. Now, that's a hard thing to do because it requires being patient, does it not? The greatest example of this is the Good Samaritan. Uh, you recall that parable of Jesus giving about the Good Samaritan? Now, there's a whole wealth of information. There's lessons and lessons you could talk about here. But there was three men who walked by this man that was suffering. The first one paid no attention to him. The second said that he examined it enough to kind of know what was going on and chose not to help, and he went on. But what did the third guy do? Well, he helped him. He picked him up. He took him to an inn. He gave money. He said, take care of this man. Here's a lump sum of money. If it requires more money when I get back, it doesn't matter. Do what you can to help this man. Now, that's real kindness. He had preparation. He was ready to do right by God. And he expected nothing in return. Matthew 7, verses 12, he says, Therefore, whatever you want man to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophet. That's the golden rule of Christianity. Treat other people as you want to be treated. Treat people with kindness, because that's the attribute of love. He goes on, and I think out of all the lists that he gives here, this is probably the worst one, and he says, love does not envy. Now, if you're sitting here today and you think you can be a little envious of somebody, just a little bit, and still be a Christian, I have another thing coming for you. What does it mean to envy? It's jealousy, bitterness, it's hatred of prosperity of other people. That's literally what means to be envious. Now, it doesn't sound like those are things that a Christian should be, does it not? It's the opposite of contentment. People who feel this way will never find happiness. I can promise you that. There was much psychology around this idea. And they will never be content. And that's the idea of being a Christian, is being content whether we're poor or whether we're rich. No matter what our lot in life is, we're to be content. And so we, we um, as Christians, are not envious. See, the problem with being envy is we start looking externally instead of internally. And when we start looking at other people and we start evaluating what their prosperity and things like this, there's a problem. There's a fundamental problem with this. We're not comparing apples to apples. I'm not you. You're not me. We're not the same people. We, didn't, we, we weren't raised the same. We don't come from the same background. We don't have the same network. We're different. And when we start looking to other people to solve our problems, say, well, only if I had this, only if this happened, we run into a real problem. Because that's kind of the root of where jealousy comes from. James says it like this. James says in 3, verse 16, he says, For envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil things are there. And how true of a story that is. 
Romans 1 and 29, listen to this. I love this because this is what God thinks about being envy, envious. Romans 1, 29 says, being filled with all unrighteousness. He's listing off a list of sins here. All unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy. Do you know what the next word is? Murder. The very next word is murder. God sees no different from us being full of envy and murdering someone. There is no difference in God's sight. And we'd like to give it a, uh, an example of this and then we'll move on. We all remember that story back in the Old Testament of Cain and Abel, right? Cain became jealous of his brother. And it welled up in him. He was looking externally, trying to figure out, well, why am I not prosper, uh, prospering like my brother is? Why don't I have those things? Why don't I have favor in God's sight? He knew what he should be doing. When you read and you kind of study that out, Cain knew what he should be doing. In fact, he had a conversation with God, and he wasn't satisfied with what God had to tell him. God basically said, you need to look within and stop looking without. And the Bible says that his countenance fell. He became long-faced. He became sad. And it boiled up of bitterness, of jealousy. And it came to a point that he murdered his brother. Just pause and think about that for just a moment. Now, I'm close with my family. I don't know about you, but I'm close with my brothers. I could never imagine being so jealous of somebody else's prosperity that I would murder them, especially my brother. He goes on and he says, love does not parade itself. That is, that love does not boast. Love does not boast or brag about itself. Really, this is the outward appearance of the next point, which is the idea of pride. So this is pride boiled up to the point that you think other people should hear what you have to say and see your accomplishment. That's what it means to be uh, boasting or to be bragging. It is the opposite of humility. It's the complete opposite. Humility means to understand your shortcomings and to overcome your pride. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that before, sat down and really evaluated yourself and said, where's my shortcomings? Where's my problems? You know, it's really easy to point a finger at somebody like this and say, well, you got this problem. You got that problem. Oh, I see that. But I tell you, it is much more difficult to point your finger at yourself and see your own faults. Because you have to admit you are wrong. And that's a hard thing for us to do. And so Paul says that love is not boastful, does not brag. It evaluates itself and it realizes its shortcomings. And when you do that, let me tell you, it's nearly impossible to brag. Humility means to be powerful, but in control. Now pause and think about this. Christians, in all of their being, bring their mind, the body, their actions, everything about us, we bring in subjection not only to ourselves, but to God's word. If you think that's an easy thing to do, you got another thing coming. It's hard to change your mindset. It's hard to change your language. It's hard to change your behavior. It's not easy. 
Christians are really uh, some powerful people if you look at it that way. Jesus being the most powerful person to ever exist. Yet he was the humblest person, harmoniest human being that will ever be. Humility is control over what you have and realizing your shortcomings. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before the destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And true that is. James, once again, one of my favorite letters, James 4, 16 says, But now your boast, uh, your boast and your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Boasting is an evil thing. And it is not what God wants for you and I. It's when our pride builds up and it explodes in an outwards appearance. And you know these people. Every time you talk to them, they'll tell you about their prosperity. You ever met those people? No matter what, what's going on, they'll find a way to fit in. Oh, oh I, I landed this deal. Oh, I did this. Oh, I got in with this person. Oh, I saw this famous person shook their hand. They'll do something to tell you about the great works because they think they're so important. The Bible says love does not parade itself. That is that love does not brag. The root of this is the next point that Paul makes. He says love is not puffed up. That means literally to blow oneself up. It is pride at its root. The word refers to in, um, an inflated concept of one's own importance. That's really what it is. You think yourself more important than what you are. That's pride. That's what it means to be puffed up. And so the Bible says here that love does not do that. That is not our characteristic. So not only does the Bible condemn the outward appearance of boasting or pride, but it also condemns the inward feeling of pride. Listen to what Romans uh, 12 and 3 says. Um, in the middle there, it says, uh, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And that's true. We need to take a hard look at ourselves when we start thinking we're special. Or we start thinking we got everything figured out. Or that we start thinking that, uh, you know, uh, look at me. We have another thing coming. Like I said, this is the source of where bragging comes from. Think about it from this perspective. These people had spiritual gifts because Paul is talking to a congregation. And these people... Um, had, you know, the power of tongues, the power of knowledge, the power of healing, all these spiritual gifts. And some didn't. And Paul's telling them, look, especially to, you, to those who have spiritual gifts, don't be proud of it. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. I'll bring that in today. Just because we're educated, just because we know more of the Bible, or just because we know more of life, does not mean that we should think of ourselves higher than we ought to. We're all the same in God's sight. An example of this, and it's somebody I worked with some time ago. I'll never forget this guy. I was a co-worker once. He'd walk around with his chest puffed out, his shoulders back, his nose slightly in the air. And every time he spoke to you, he just spoke down to you. Have you ever met somebody like that? 
Just nothing. Everything that comes out of their mouth, no matter how innocent it may sound, was always talking down to you as he was better. And uh, it was no small thing in the office. Everybody knew about this guy. In fact, he himself joked about him being prideful. Now, if you don't know me, I'm a very curious person. I like to ask questions. And so I mustered it up one time, and I decided I was going to go ask him why he was like this. And so I got him alone, and I said, why, do you, why are you so prideful? Why are you like this? What's, what's the point? I'll never forget this response. He said, I act this way because I deserve respect. And that's what he thought of himself. He said, I deserve respect. Now here's the fact. The man was not respectable. That's why no one showed him respect. And if you're walking around with pride in your life, let me tell you, people can see it and they understand it. And you will not be respected in man's eyes or in God's eyes if we walk around with pride. The Bible goes on here and it says, um, does not behave itself rudely. Now, this is a big one because I've ran into this. I'll tell you, I came from the world 15 years ago and I've had some mean things done to me before I became a Christian. But the most hurtful things that have ever happened to me came from my fellow Christians. Of being rude. What does it mean to be rude? To be rude, um, love does not conduct itself in a way that is contrary to what is acceptable. So it's a little bit more than just plain being rude. It really means not to do something that is to the contrary to what is acceptable by most people. Now that plays out in various ways in our life. It simply means to be unseemly. It is disgraceful, dishonorable, disrespectful. It is somebody who doesn't care what others think. I remember a story that a preacher told me one time. And I, I hope that this is not us. I really do. I don't think so of anybody in here, but I hope it's not us. I'm not going to give names. I don't want anybody to know what I'm talking about. But this preacher was holding a gospel meeting. And uh, a bunch of the brethren decided uh, Saturday morning they were going to get together and go to the Cracker Barrel. They were all going to have coffee together. And they were just going to have a good time. So this big old long table of all these men got together and they all had coffee. Now this place was absolutely packed. Evidently, there were a number of people who decided not to show up to work. That happens from time to time. And so this young lady was the only, one, the only server there, and she was running around with her head cut off like a chicken. She was trying to get plates out. She was trying to fill coffee. Now here's the sad part of the story. An elder of this congregation was sitting at this table, and he didn't think his coffee was getting filled fast enough. And he called this young lady over, and he let her know what he thought about his coffee not being filled. She went away crying and left. Whatever he said hurt her so much that she broke down in tears and left. Listen, Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You know what the sad part of that story is? That man ruined his opportunity to save that soul because he was rude. And how sad of us when we are rude and when we behave in an unacceptable manner because we think more highly or whatever the reason, how sad that is. When we hide our light, we hide our faith. And there is no way that young lady thought he was a Christian because he was rude. Bible moves on here. And it says in these verses, it says, does not seek its own. That is, that love is not selfish. Selfish person is not con- uh, a selfish person is only concerned about his own pleasures and his own desires and his own gratification. He doesn't care about other people. He doesn't look to other people. Love, on the other hand, considers the wants and needs of others. Now I ask, do we consider the wants and needs of the people around us? Do we put other people first before ourselves? Are we that type of person that doesn't really care what people think? I've heard many people, I'll be honest with you, I used to be that way. I don't really care what people think, we should care what people think. We should care how people perceive us. We should care about us being selfish or not selfish. This generation that you and I live on, live in, is the me generation. Everything about the generation that we live in right now, everything on TV, all the advertisements, all the philosophies, is all about me. That's the world we live in. We're taught this from a little kid. What do we tell our children? Go get the best job. Go get the best education. Go get the best car, the best house, the best things. Me, me, me. You know, it's even so bad that the banks advertise credit cards for vacations. Think about that. Going into debt to go on a vacation? That's a me generation. And it's a sad thing that happens to people. You remember what happened a little early on in this uh, letter here in Corinthians, the sixth chapter? You recall just a little while before this, the brethren were suing one another. And it got so bad that they were going into the community and the community recognized that these brothers were having all kinds of conflict. And what did Paul tell them? In some, he says, stop being selfish. Maybe take the wrong. Maybe as they say, knuckle under, who cares, and move on. The world sees what you're doing, sees that you're being selfish. And that's not right. That's not considerate. And that's not okay. Love considers the actions and of light. Love considers the actions of itself in light of what the world thinks about it. Love does not seek its own. Nextly, I'm going to speed this along here. Nextly, the Bible says that love is not provoked. That is, that love does not get angry easily. 
Now here's another hard thing because I know a lot of people get angry very easily. Have you ever seen someone that is mad all the time? They just walk around angry, frustrated. Something within them is just irritating. It seems like they have a chip on their shoulder, doesn't it? Like they think there's something special. They are bitter. <clears throat> and no matter how small of wrongdoing that is done, they are frustrated by it. And see, the Bible says that we are not like that. When wrongdoing happens to us, we don't become bitter over it. We don't become angry and frustrated over it. We have a different attitude. We have a different demeanor. Have you ever seen a 60-year-old man, this is the story that reminds me of this, in line at a, uh, I don't know, uh, Walmart or something like that. Well, I seen it one time, this man at Walmart, I think he was 60, 65 years old. I don't know exactly how old he is. But uh, he was standing in line and he was yelling at this person behind the cash register because he thought they should be able to change the price of something as if they had that power. Now here's a man that's supposed to be tempered, aged, supposed to be mature, have all those things that when company age, right? But he demonstrated none of them. Man, he was mad as nails at this person. And he was going off. Let me tell you something about anger. Anger is not something you inherit as my cat has 23 toes. No, no. Love is something you learn. And just as fast as you learn to be angry and learn to get frustrated, you need to unlearn it. And that is hard to do and it is not easy. But the Bible says that love is not easily provoked. I want to make one point on this. And the reason why I think it's so dangerous for us to get frustrated, be bitter, and to get angry at things. What is the most powerful weapon in the world? Think about it for a moment. Did you say the nuclear bomb? Because that's what I said. I'm going to tell you there's a weapon more powerful than the nuclear bomb. And that's our tongue. It's the most dangerous thing that man, man has. It has moved and reshaped this world multiple times. It has killed more people than anything else. And it is more dangerous than anything you could ever imagine. And when you get angry, and when you're bitter, and when you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, guess what? You're going to wield that weapon wrong. And you're going to hurt somebody in ways that you don't want to hurt someone. We need to be mindful of the way that we talk and the way that we act because it has impact on this world and on one another. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.